Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8.com. I think one of the biggest things is we need centers for excellence to start, you know, pushing these things out, educating people, um, perhaps, you know, just having leaders in the industry that can go and educate around ethical use, risks and challenges, just so we get comfortable and we can kind of, you know, um, uh, not put our head in the sand, but, but really, you know, embrace what the reality of this uh, is because it's not going away. Needlestack, the podcast for professional online research. I'm Jeff Phillips, your host. And I'm Aubrey Byron, producer and co-host. Today, we're discussing how OSINT practitioners can leverage generative AI in their research and what analysts need to know about emerging AI technology. And joining us for that discussion is Chris Poulter, founder and CEO of OSINT Combine. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us. Um, so, Chris, to, to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about OSINT Combine and what you all do? Yeah, so we're a uh, OSINT capability provider at the end of the day that uh, looks to develop enduring OSINT capability across strategic organizations. Um, we have uh, customers all over the world. We look at providing training, software, and services uh, around you know very strategically focused uh, organizations. Um, and at the end of the day, looking at uh, how do we make a, an impact, a better impact in the world, make the world a safer place. Well, and that, so for our topic today, it makes a lot of sense to me that since you're in the training and the, and the software space, that um, you and your organization would be one that dives into the newest technologies and what it means for researchers, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when we start looking at, you know, generative AI and taking a, a, you know, a pulse check on where does this technology sit in the future, um, or today and also the future, and how is it going to evolve, and what does this sort of mean? Um, it, it really is an exciting time. It's a challenging and potentially scary time uh, for how this all sits and how this works. But the challenge for us is to get comfortable with what that emerging technology is so we can use it appropriately, ethically. Um, how, do we, how do we put, whether it's safeguards, or how do we actually get the most out of it because there is a huge potential in it as well. And I think that's the challenge is, is first trying to understand it uh, and then sort of work towards um, the embedment of uh, use of that technology. So you've given webinars on generative AI. In what ways are you teaching researchers to use this technology to their advantage? So probably two ways. I think the first one is to lower that barrier to entry of understanding about what it is, um, taking that higher level approach or that higher level understanding of, this is what generative AI is. This is the differences. This is what it uh, can potentially mean. Um, diving into some of the risks, the challenges, the limitations, uh, and just, again, having a look at where it sits today versus where it might evolve to tomorrow. 
So that's sort of one approach. Uh, and then the other approach is, uh, the area we sort of focus on teaching is, it's not all about um, uh, what online systems are available, it's how you can actually start to use some of your own data. Because the key thing I start to uh, focus on is, we're gonna change and we are changing our behaviors of the way we interact with data. And that is something we need to get comfortable with what that change was. And we went through that change with how we do search. Search has evolved over time. Um, search engines have sort of obviously evolved. How we access and find information. That behavior shifted from going to the library, finding the book and working through it, to obviously search and, and, uh, and validation and, and verification challenges of what that means because of obviously anyone who can control information online or put information online uh, and run a narrative of their own to now where we're actually kind of lowering or we're, we're bridging the gap. And as, as, as strange as this might sound, we're bridging the gap with non-technical people being able to interact with data in really sophisticated ways by asking um, complex and human-like questions that allows them uh, to go and sift through it uh, and not have to be experts in data science to get meaning out of out of complex data sets. So I think overarching is really looking at um, you know behaviors and, and, and what we're what that's going to mean for the future. That's it's interesting how you talk about that, Chris, because well, especially um, when I want to say people that don't follow technologies, you see AI as either being you know, we're all being replaced and this is a terrible thing coming down the path. But you're you know, and then there's others that are probably maybe more so early adopters in the way you're talking about it, that um, that there's a role for AI for the analysts. It's not a, you know, so I shouldn't have job security anxiety. Um, there, there's, it, it's a tool, if you will. Um, is that kind of how you see it and how you're talking to the analysts about it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, a, a, a tool in the toolbox, but also, you know, how we're, again, going to really um, change our behaviors of how we access information uh, in the future. And it could be as acute as, hey, you go and use this system, you ask it a question, or you start to interact with it. That way, it could be as subtle as it's running in the background, you're not aware of it, but it's changing the behavior of how you're accessing complex information sets. Um, and if we look at like the evolution of change, right, uh, when people were talking about job security, what that sort of means, is who's it gonna replace, it's not as simple as that. Um, and you look at manufacturing, um, you know, when things went from, you know, handmade to, uh, you know, machine produced in production lines, you know, that, that itself, you know, what it resulted was it, it might have replaced certain industries in certain areas, but those people had other functions that were just as critical to making that succeed. AI is no different in that, you know, if we shift away from a physical world to, to the digital world, when we're working in an environment where people can now, we're going to lower the barrier or bridge the gap between people being able to access and ask questions of complex mission, uh, complex data, we need analysts and, and people like that more so now than ever to, to challenge it, to understand it, um, to obviously keep us relevant in terms of the efficacy um, of, of that, that data. But we need to jump in and, and, and start somewhere. And I think, uh, you know, it's an important discussion to have. You know, one thing I see a lot, uh, people are sharing a lot of things on LinkedIn. It, it, it seems like um, everyone's all about training AI and what are some of the, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the prompts you're using. I mean, is that part of what you're out talking about and and, and talking to analysts about how do you, you know, sir, do you have tips for training AI from an OSINT perspective um, to fit your needs? Yeah, so, um, you know, probably two ways. Right? If you look at training it from the sense that you want to train it against your own data to build your own large language models, that's one, one aspect. So then you can interact again with your own data in a certain way, in a human-like way, and that's kind of where, you know, most people uh, are enjoying what the benefits of this are because you can turn mundane tasks or you can, again, access data by asking a normal question that you would otherwise pose as your research question 
now actually becomes the way you interact. Whereas before you had a research question, you had a data scientist and someone that go and, you know, or an analyst and they go and work through the data. You kind of bridge those two things and you put the analyst on the other side of it who starts to then understand what's come out. Um, so I think, you know, there's, there's, it's, it's interesting when we talk about tips on the training side of training data versus prompt engineering, you know, and how do you interact with the data uh, to get the most out of it. And I think that's an evolving thing. You know, the way it is now and what the way you search and ask questions now and the answers you get back will be significantly different to how it is tomorrow, the next day, because it's, it's you know, unsupervised, self-supervised learning, all those things, it's, it, you know, it's evolving and growing, which itself is a scary thought, you know, on, on, on what does this mean from, um, from its understanding of, uh, you know, the data and the questions that we're asking here. Because every time we ask a question, particularly if you started throwing things like colloquial tongues, you know, what do all those things mean as it evolves? And we saw that with Translate, you know, when, when, when Google Translate started, you know, it didn't handle colloquial tongues very well. Now it's, it's phenomenal because every time someone uses it, it gets better. And so I guess my point on that um, is that it, it's going to be evolving and we, we kind of got to, you know, stay relevant in understanding it. The tips I would say is use things like chain of thought sequencing, the same way when you interact with another human, you pose a question or a debate, they come back with an answer, you might challenge that. So always challenge what comes back. Um, you always need to validate and verify the information and start to, to work through that. Um, but also just think about how you can reframe a question. So if you look at it from a human interaction perspective, when you ask a question of someone and they don't get the question or what it is, if you reframe it in a different way, you're gonna get potentially the answer you're after, or you're gonna tease out bits of those information that you need. Working and interacting with generative AI is no different. You just need to work out um, effective ways and reframe things to get you know, um, you know high efficacy in the results you're after. So we're talking about the benefits, but on the flip side, there are a lot of concerns about how AI could fuel disinformation with the advancement of deepfakes, for instance. How do you see that playing out so far? Yeah, it's, it's a huge challenge um, on multiple fronts. It's not, you, know, you can talk about it from a macro perspective, geopolitical level, the ability to start to influence populations at mass and what that means for society. You can then get down to a micro level and you look at even things in the child abuse space and the ability for people to generate imagery, uh, which can then be distributed online, where, there's the, where you know, the questions start to get asked from a uh, legal perspective, is there a victim? You know, and um, when, uh, of course, it's, you know, there, there's all these uh, you know, different, different answers to, to what that is. Um, so there's, there's a huge problem um, at there it doesn't mean the technology is going to go away because there's obviously, it's like anything, there's good and bad. Um, our ability to challenge that continually will, will, will be, you know, the, the back and forth that will go on forever. Um, the other side of that is is looking at, um, you know, distribution pipelines. So we, we kind of, there's huge online social media platforms and you've got disinformation and misinformation from that perspective. But now you can generate such realistic content and if you start putting them in things like closed message groups, you're reinforcing an echo chamber at a hyper level. Um, you know, you think about it, you're in, you're in WhatsApp groups with people of similar interests. So you, people's ability to influence those with really realistic content, which before they might've had to wait for something to come in, or it kind of didn't seem really didn't hold weight. They can now really hyperactive or hyperactivate disinformation and, and um, uh, well, disinformation and misinformation through uh, closed echo chambers that then leads out to it. And you also can't source identify on the back of that because of obviously where it came from, where it started and, and how that sort of works. So um, I think huge challenges, huge risks. Um, and, and, and that's one of the key ones about um, an analyst 
working and, and understanding, uh, you know, the, the relevancy of the information, the credibility, all that sort of stuff. And so now an analyst is more important than ever because of those challenges. Well, then it puts a lot of, um, uh, I'm thinking about for the analysts, so keeping up with all of these things, keeping up with all the technologies. That's not their actual job, right? The investigation, yeah. whatever the case may be, that's, that's the job. I mean, what do you, how, how, do they, how do analysts keep up with all of this and what's going on with deep fakes, generative AI? Just make your evenings, you just study 24 <laughs> by seven? What, uh, do, your, do your investigations eight to five and study uh, outside of that? Yeah, look, it's, it's hard, right? I, but it's, it's just, there's often, I mean, there's new technology all the time. Um, and there's things that we kind of anchor to and we enjoy, and so it stimulates our interest. This, this is going to underpin, again, our behaviors of how we interact with data, and data and information is the biggest commodity in the world. So this is one that you can't actually get away from. So I think the first step is, one, understanding it, um, getting comfortable with what that might mean for your role. Um, you will have a separation of, of, of um, a cohort or a, a demographic of individuals that won't want to adopt this, will we'll really uh, struggle and fight against it. But we, we saw that, we see that with internet. You see that with open source intelligence. It's taken decades for it to actually, you know, be in the limelight of how valuable it is, where, where the concept of it doesn't need to be secret to be valuable is now at the forefront of people's minds to the point where you can get 80% of what you need in the open source environment um, or the publicly available information environment to then go and focus your other efforts. This is kind of similar to that. Um, and, and I think one of the biggest things is we need centers for excellence to start, you know, pushing these things out, educating people, um, perhaps, you know, just having leaders in the industry that can go and educate around ethical use, risks and challenges, just so we get comfortable and we can kind of, you know, um, uh, not put our head in the sand, but, but really, you know, embrace what the reality of this uh, is because it's not going away. You mentioned ethical use. That actually prompts a question. Um, I know the sensitive organizations um, that, that your company works with. So I think of things, um, I think about policies. And so people, whether that's policies on what you can do on the dark web or um, policies, are you allowed to use sock puppets? Is, is that coming up related to generative AI, you know, having organizational policies of what you can and can't do with it? Does, is that an issue yet? Uh, I, I think it's something that every organization should be looking at. Um, and that is everything from how do you set parameters and constraints within your organization for what they, how they use it, but then also giving them the opportunity to leverage it effectively. Um, so I think those, those policies and procedures are going to be a, a natural sort of uh, thing that every organization uh, needs and, and should be doing. I think the risk is, particularly in, in strategic organizations who are kind of ignoring it, hoping that it's, you know, uh, oh, it's too much, we don't know how to leverage it. If you do that, you're kicking the can down the road and it will become a problem when you have that issue, that person that's used it in an unethical manner and now your credibility is gone. And, and so I think you'll have organizations that will retrospectively have to go and you know, um, you know, fix that. But if you're a, if you're a forward-leaning organization, you want to be having these discussions. And, and I th to, be, to be fair, I think across, you know, particularly in the government sector, there's a, there's a huge amount of work uh, and, and a lot of education going into this, uh, both open and closed door discussions on what is the reality? So I think it is at the forefront. I don't think this is a problem. I think it's a, it's at the forefront. People are trying to understand it, but it takes time, particularly taking time to get people comfortable with it. So no, I think I think we're in we're in the, we're in the uh, we're, we're on a good path. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I can only imagine that a lot of SOC teams are playing catch up right now. Well, everyone's so busy, right? Everyone's busy with their own. I mean, like you like you said before, Jeff. There's you're already doing all these other things. And now you've got this, this extra thing that you need to start dialing into. 
but I think the reality is once 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 we get comfortable with it, it'll create efficiencies that will hopefully you know sort out some of those other areas, some other opportunities. Um, it, it also you know, it stimulates the mind on on how we can work differently, which I think culturally um, uh, can be beneficial for for what we're trying to do, particularly in the open source intelligence space. Um, you know, there's opportunity there, and we shouldn't we shouldn't balk at that. So shifting gears a little bit, before we go, um, you're going to be at the Australian OSINT Symposium this fall, and I just want to tell our listeners who might be in the area or just might have awesome travel budgets. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to see you guys down here, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Australian Ocean Symposium, September 12 to 14. Uh, it's in Sydney, Australia. Uh, it's selling out quickly. Uh, I can tell you that much. We have, it's going to be amazing. We've got open and closed door sessions. Open sessions is for everybody. Closed sessions is for government, uh, law enforcement, military, you know, um, all those sort of places. But international, so you can come down as an international if you're from those organisations. It's just an element of vetting so we can have uh, other discussions which are more sensitive, but still in the unclassified open source uh, space. Uh, we have some great events and great networking stuff. Um, it's going to it's going to be amazing. Uh, it's all educational. Um, you know, it's very much focused on getting the message out and, and um, uh, people sharing their experiences in the open source intelligence landscape. Um, so yeah, please come on down. It's going to be amazing, and the weather will, will hopefully be fantastic. Awesome. Aubrey, it sounds like we should do a a podcast um, live from uh, from the symposium. I, like I think it. it's a great idea. We'll fix it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thanks to our guest, Chris Poulter, for joining us today. Um, I, I think generative AI is a, I think this is going to be a topic of future podcasts uh, for a couple of years to come at least. So thank you again, Chris, for joining us today. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. If you like what you heard, you can view transcripts and other episode info on our website, authenticate.com slash needlestack. That's authentic with the number eight com slash needlestack and be sure to let us know your thoughts on twitter at needlestack pod and to like and subscribe wherever you're listening today we'll be back next week with more on how analysts can use emerging technology we'll see you then